Welcome to Food Freedom Radio, where we plan to nourish the seeds of change. I'm Laura Hedlund, a student of permaculture, a person who knows cheap food is not cheap, and a person seeking resilience in uncertain times. And I'm very pleased to have joined by phone today LaDonna Sanders-Redman. Hi, welcome to Food Freedom Radio. Hey, Laura. Thanks for having me. Thanks. So glad you can join us. And uh, I'm going to tell a little bit of your background, your bio. Um, you are an intercultural development consultant with Culminate. Um, you are the, you were the former diversity and community engagement manager at Seward Community Co-op, and you're currently the board president. You're a community activist, and you've worked on several public health issues, including working to get public schools to eliminate junk food, launched urban agricultural products projects, started a community garden store, and worked on federal farm policies to expand healthy access to food in communities of color. Uh, you are the 2003 W. Kellogg Food and Society Policy Fellow, and you are uh, one of 25 citizen and business leaders named a responsible pioneer by Time Magazine. Also, you have a popular uh, TED Talk, Food Plus Justice Equals Democracy. So what do you make of this moment, Deladonna, all that background, all that experience? What What is this moment like? What do you see here? Wow. I know. That's a, isn't that the question? Isn't what that is the question? <laughs> what is this moment? <laughs> and tell it? me right now. <laughs> Sorry. Right. I'm trying to chill out. It, right? Yeah, you know, I had a, a spiritual mother. Uh, her name is uh, Nochi. Nochi has passed away, but one of the things she used to say about the world or anything that she couldn't quite name, she called it a question. She's like, "Well, what is this question?" You know, and that's kind of how I feel about this moment. You know, what is this moment? You know, attempting to teach us or bring us and. I think that, you know, for all of um, the strife that people may feel in this moment, I think it also is an opportunity to think deeper into, well, what kind of world do we want to live in? Yes, yes. What, what world do we want to live in? I, I think one way to ground this conversation is uh, on the book um, Collective Courage, A History of African-American Cooperative Economic Thought and Practice. I know we've talked about that several times over the years, but you want to talk a little bit about that book and um, what you've learned from it? Sure. Um, I, I have um, learned quite a, quite a bit from um, Jessica Gordon in Hart's book. Uh, she really helped me um, when I was really beginning the work at Stewart Co-op to develop the friendship store on um, East 38th Street. I was really looking for the stories of uh, African Americans and cooperatives, and all around me, for all intents and purposes, there were none besides maybe me. <laughs> and I knew that that couldn't be right, you know? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it just seems absurd, right, uh-huh. that a world, you know, that a world full of people and a world full of people who carry difference, that there are no other people around that look like me that would participate in the co-op movement. And what she brung to me is a book, and to many, many people, not just me, but she brought us a book that let us know that we were a part of a spirit of cooperation that helped my community survive and many other communities survive. And it really is anchored, cooperation is anchored in mutual aid. And I think that is the biggest thing that I learned um, from reading her book is that we have an obligation, a responsibility to aid each other, particularly in need, and to share our resources when we can. And it was not from a sharing of lack, 
but from a sharing of plenty. So there's plenty to go around. Now that's a really important distinction, um, and and because we're almost caught in a culture of scarcity, and trying mm-hmm. to move that to a culture of abundance. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, uh, you know, when we talk about abundance, oftentimes I think we get really caught up with talking about money. You know, and money is a part of abundance. I don't want to underestimate that, but there's also health and there's well-being, there's mental states. Um, to have an abundant mindset um, is not necessarily different than having um, a lot of money uh, because if you think you're wealthy, then you probably are wealthy. Um, And it doesn't mean that wealth translates into coins or dollars, but um, it can translate into family. Um, It can translate into beautiful relationships that one might have. Um, But we oftentimes get caught up with just thinking about money and then thinking about money as being bad and that we shouldn't have any, you know, no one should have a lot of money. We shouldn't have a lot of money. And if we want a lot of money, then we're bad people. And so either we're kind of railing against the bad people who have a lot of money or trying to figure out how to save those people who don't have enough money. And there isn't enough room in those, either one of those positions to really think creatively around, well, how, what do we have to share and how do we share it? Yeah, and um, uh, so in this book, um, and I, I'm going from an um, article that uh, Daily Kos uh, uh, printed an um, uh, interview on Wednesday, 21st, uh, uh, 2015 with her, and she said this, that every black co-op I have found so far started with a study group. They came together to study their situation and eventually found and studied cooperative economics. They tapped into all kinds of co-op literature from Europe and from the U.S. and even found essays written by uh, the black leaders promoting the co-ops. So are we at a moment now where we need to take a collective pause and really ask ourselves, what is the economy for? Mm-hmm. I think that idea of studying, you know, and really taking a look at, well, what is it that we're really trying to do? And exactly what you asked. Well, what is the economy for? What, where are we trying to go with it? And what is our personal economy? The question that I think a lot of the early cooperators asked was not what other people could do, but what is it that we need to do for ourselves? Um, it's sort of maybe a variation on the John F. Kennedy quote. Um, around, you know, doing for yourself and doing for the world. I can't remember the quote exactly. But I think it's really important to think about, well, what was the question that these people were trying to ask? And basically, they were trying to ask, how do we survive together? Right. I, I love that. And um, you mentioned uh, John F. Kennedy. Um, one thing that's given me a lot of hope is I'm pre- participating in something that anyone can. It's online. It's all free. It's from the Presencing Organization. It's with Gaia. Um, and uh, one of the founders of that, Outer Shomer, uh, wrote in uh, the Huffington Post that uh, he pointed out that in a famous stump, stump speech um, in, 19, in March 1968, a few months before he was shot, then-President candidate, candidate Robert Kennedy laid Blair, Blair the dangers of using gross domestic product to measure success. GDP, he says, measures neither our wit nor our courage, neither our wisdom nor our learning, neither our compassion nor our devotion to our country. It measures everything in short, except that what makes life worthwhile. So 
the optimistic part of me thinks this one moment could really we, – we could use this moment, this moment of crisis – to, to really think about what do we want in a society and not be so directed by um, sort of I like to call it the, ab, uh, the uh, algorithm, oppression of the algorithm, but what makes us come alive? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And not be afraid to do what makes us come alive. I think a lot of times uh, the reason that we pick things or we decide to have an opinion about something like what does what do I want to contribute to the world is that we're worried about what the other will think, you know. And part of my success, I guess, in terms of my own activism, has been that I don't really care what other people think. <laughs> and, <that's> not, <laughs> and that sounds horrible because I, it's not that I don't care about people, but I believe that um, I, I believe that I have to believe more deeply in what I'm feeling internally than what anything is going on outside of me. And I'm confident that my internal um, matrix or guidance system is working optimally. And I don't think people have that confidence. So they get swayed into these different ways of thinking or being that don't serve them personally, but think that they will serve someone else. And if it's not serving you personally, then how in the world will it help someone else? There's been a lot of wonderful work on mindfulness, and Oprah had this uh, wonderful thing on hope and resilient in uncertain times, but it's how to find that self-trust, that deep mm-hmm. trust in ourselves. Um, and we need to have that before we can have trust in others and in our society. Um, would you agree with that phrasing, trusting yourself? I believe, yeah, definitely. I think we don't trust ourselves. And there's lots of things that undermine us. I mean, even the the folks, the work of the collective courage folks, I think um, those those Africans who were um, around and studying one, again, you know, studying on how can we survive and being oppressed. I mean, literally, like, you weren't free. I was not free. They could not, um, you know, walk freely or do the thing or anything that they wanted to do. They could not do. They could not purchase a home. They could not uh, vote. So these early cooperators were really believing against the odds, believing against everything that they saw and heard that they were valuable. And to and that is really the, I think that's at the core of the belief system, right? That we are valuable and that everything we have to contribute can be valuable too if we come from that place of valuing ourselves first. So I, I essentially, yes, I do agree with that. Yeah, because um, I'm quoting again from uh, that article that uh, they retaliated against us economically. But if we started by owning our own land, growing our own food, owning our homes, then we were then we are politically active in the way that they cannot retaliate against us. So that building the power and really understanding that that empowerment um, from that. Um, I don't know how to uh, simplify it. We're going to need to take a break. But uh, LaDonna, uh, LaDonna Red- Sanders Redman is um, joining us by phone. And we're talking about what is this moment like? What is this moment like for each other? And how do we take this moment of disruption and create something that we want future generations to live in? We're now uh, living in a way that it takes 1.75 planets to support. We only have one planet Earth. How do we connect? You're listening to Food Freedom Radio. Change, 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 
Welcome back to Food Freedom Radio. And yes, we're playing some Prince music because LaDonna uh, Sanders is with us on the phone. I <laughs> uh, got to get some Prince music in there. Um, and got to play a little Elton John, too, you know. Some I'm Elton John? Elton oh, we'll see. We'll see. Eric, can you find some Elton John? <laughs> what Elton John? <laughs> But I wanted to start this out. There's a, a quote in today's Carnacopia newsletter, and it's talking about uh, some of the challenges facing farms, uh, family sale organic farms. Um, and it quotes one vegetable farmer who says, you know, I've been doing this for 30 years, and every time I planted a seed in the last two weeks, I felt like it was an act of faith and hope. I'm also scared. Where will I sell my food? How will I get the work done? I can't bring on any seasonal employees, so I don't know if I can because I can't pay them. It leaves me a lot of work. I don't know how I'm going to do all this work. And uh, what about the people who don't have access to good foods but are suffering financially? How do I get food to those people while keeping my lights on and my gas in my trunk? I take a lot of deep breaths, and when I feel the fear overwhelming me, I take things day by day, one step at a time, one seed at a time. I must farm on. I think a lot of us have that really deep sense of, or we're feeling that at moments. And but when I shared that with you, you had a different response, and I, I kind of appreciated hearing that. So, are you fearful in this moment, Madonna? No. Hello. Can you Hello. hear me? Yes, I can hear you. Okay. No, I'm, I am not fearful. I am not afraid. I, I don't know that there's. I know that people can feel fear, and I don't want to feel. You know, my, you know, minimized um, by my feeling of um, not being afraid. I, I don't find, I, I just, I find fear paralyzing. And if we are doing the work of mindfulness, which we just started um, talking about, I think you're challenged to metabolize any fear that you have to really examine it. Well, what exactly am I afraid of? And can you hold hope and fear at the same time? I would say no. If you're going to be hopeful, then let's be hopeful. If you're going to be joyful, then let's be joyful. But if you're going to be fearful, then you can embrace that completely. But I don't think you can have both at the same time. The other thing is that, you know, I don't, maybe it's my ancestors, the stories that my parents have told me, um, where they've had to tap into courage to keep going. And this is a, not a fearful moment. Um, if people would take the time to find that inner strength, that courage that we've been talking about, the courage that um, my ancestors had to stand up against the brutality of enslavement and, um, and today, yesterday and today, you know, the brutality of um, police oppression, all these kinds of things people have stood up against, and they have had to move from fear to courage. Um, fear will not serve us in this moment. I'm sorry to say it that way. I hope no one is upset with me. <laughs> well, you know, and, and, and I really appreciate that. And as I said, I when I started in the first segment, one of the reasons uh, I... I, I called you originally because I wanted to talk about the community-supported agriculture and the virtual CSA fair that's going on um, and Earth Day coming up. So we want to get into those details. But I left the conversation feeling a little lighter because, and and I I think there are some other people talking about we can live in hope, even in the darkest moments, though there are hope. And and when we connect with that hope and we pause and we study and we we come from that place of... um, 
of of deep um, abundance and love, somehow everything works out. <laughs> we don't know it's, how it's exactly. going to. We don't know how it's going to work out, but it does. And I think that's the key. We don't know how, and perhaps that is what is generating the fear. But it does, and it will work out. Yeah, and I think, but I'm thinking some of this resilience from our history, and so going back to the book, uh, Jessica Gordon Nemar. I hope I'm pronouncing her last name correctly. Nemhart. Um, Nemhart. Um, her book is Collective Courage: A History of African American Cooperative Economic Thought and, prog- and, and Practice. And so, um, so between the times of like 1880s and 1930s, um, there was a need to survive in really horrible, horrible economic times. Uh, and somehow um, there was this um, movement towards collective economics. There was cooperative grocery stores, gas stations, health insurance, workers co-op, credit associations. Um, there was that spirit of cooperation. Mm-hmm. And that spirit of cooperation extended into the 60s. I mean, I think one of the, the children, if, if you want to look at collective courage as the parent, it's one of a uh, parent book, one of the children of collective courage, a book is called Freedom Farmers by Dr. Monica White, who's at the University of Wisconsin. And she talks about how the cooperative movement movement was a part of the civil rights movement and specifically named uh, Fannie Lou Hamer as one of the women who organized in Mississippi and created Freedom Farms. And basically the Freedom Farm was all about finding a place on the land for people who had been kicked out of sharecropping situations um, and uh, didn't have a place to live. And she would give them land that they could raise them, raise their families and raise food. So this, this idea of standing up in oppression when there are, I mean, the days would have to have been the darkest for a person who was enslaved and in the middle of slavery in the 1800s or the 1700s. No way in, you know, born into it and no way out. I mean, how do you, how do you stand up and be courageous in that? And and right now we have a virus and still have all of our creature comforts. The many of us do still have all of our creature comforts, yet we are paralyzed by fear. I don't, that's what I don't understand. Our ancestors have gone through far worse. Yeah. Yeah. And we need to, we need to take, comfort in knowing that they survived because if they didn't we wouldn't be here but we also should find solace in our courage and and making it better for the next generation you know how do we how would we take this moment and create the world we want our kids to live in and their kids and right now i think that's i i love those sentiments i think that's great but let's make it better right now oh okay (laughs) right i i I mean but see, but you see, but you see, you see, that's what I'm saying is that we, we always, we, when we're talking about prosperity or we're talking about well-being, we're always, we always say, but we're going to make it better for somebody else. No, make it better right now. I want to make it yeah. better right now because we're all at home. <laughs> okay. People can see the Himalayan mountains. Mount Kilimanjaro can be seen from Nairobi, Kenya. Waterways are clearer. Ozone layers are clearer. Make it better right now. Yeah. That's all I'm saying. But if we're stuck in fear, there's no way we can make it better for somebody else later. These, these two things don't go together. 
I, I think that is a really powerful, uh, powerful uh, learning. Um, I, you know, there was a book in, in 1907 called uh, Economic Cooperation Among Negro, Negro Americans. And uh, one of the things it emphasized is black independent schools in North Carolina um, and some historically black colleges, they taught cooperative economics in the 1930s and the 1940s. Um, I went to the co-op luncheon um, this year, and they were saying that that was one of the problems in the school. There are business students who don't even know about cooperative economics. <laughs> And so I know you're getting your master's degree on this right now. So you want to tell we're just about to go to break. But but this mm-hmm. this idea of how do we um, kind of gather our, our forces to really understand what a cooperative economy looks like now? I mean, that is such a big, big question, right? Because you know, it's just like doctors not being taught um, nutrition. Doctors yes, that's a great uh, example. Just like doctors, and we're going to need to take a break, and we're going to come back and talk about this a little bit more. You're listening to Food Freedom Radio on AM 950. Uh, with us by phone is Ladonna Sanders Redmond. So uh, welcome back to Food Freedom Radio, uh, where we plan to nurse the seeds of change. With us on the phone is LaDonna Sanders-Rudman. She's an intercultural development consultant. Uh, she's the former diversity and community engagement manager at Seward Co-op and is currently board president. Uh, she's also a com- community activist that's worked on several public health issues, um, including um, helping schools get rid of uh, eliminate junk food, launching urban agricultural products um, projects, starting a community grocery store. Um, in 2003, she was the WK Fellow uh, and Society Policy Fellow, and you were named one of the 25 citizen and business leaders um, as a responsibility pioneer by Time Magazine. Also, you have a popular TED Talk. So thank you so much, Jana. Uh, thank you so much, LaDonna. I feel like I've kind of stumbled a little bit over that very long um, and wonderful bio. Um, but you're currently doing an MBA program right now, and uh, one of the things we know is that um, uh, cooperative education, we need to move this cooperative education. People have been talking about it for a long long time and how to get it in the schools so that it's just part of an MBA program. You know, let's do cooperative economics. What are the structures? So tell us a little Mm -hmm. bit about the program you're currently in. Well, um, the the program is based in the, um, in Canada, in Nova Scotia, and it's really uh, an international program. People from all over the world um, are part of the program. We don't have to go to Nova Scotia. People thought that I was moving to Canada, which wouldn't have been a bad idea considering, but I um, am not. I'm, I'm still in Minneapolis. The, 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 the program really focuses on credit unions and cooperatives and this whole business model, which is you, there's a lot of questions about it, right? Is it a part of capitalism or is it its own economic structure? And that's still a big, big debate. But one thing is for sure is that the seven cooperative principles definitely help businesses do better business with communities. And I think when I when I think about the food co-ops that I'm most familiar with around the country and the ones that are in Minneapolis, I can see how cooperation has helped them survive. There is no way that the food co-ops that we know and love in Minnesota would have survived without each other and without their owner members. So when we think about cooperation at its, at its smallest, minute unit, we're talking about the participation of owners and members in um, a project or a business 
for their own survival. And I think you've got so many examples here in Minnesota that I, I think you probably have more cooperatives in Minnesota than you do anyplace else in the country. Yes, we really are a, um, a hotbed of cooperatives. Um, and um, one of the things, so for 19 years, uh, Seward Co-op has had a CSA community f- fair. Um, and in some ways, it's like, what's this thing about comp- competition and collaboration because you're inviting people who will buy products. So customers would buy products from them instead of buy products at the co-op. But it's not about competition. It's about how we are all in something together, right? Mm -hmm. Absolutely. The community-supported agriculture really brings together the, the, I think, the the most important points of local food systems, which is helping farmers stay on the land, and helping them farm the land sustainably. The byproduct of farming land sustainably is that we get great food. But the community's result is they have great soil. There is not one community that you can look at that is sustainable and healthy and and the soil is of poor quality. So so community-supported agriculture helps sewer co-op achieve its ends by making sure that farmers can contribute to the economy in the most sustainable way, which is by bringing great food to us grown the grown organically or sustainably. And, and some of our folks don't just um, uh, have CSAs for food. There's, there's flower CSAs, which I was just overjoyed um, about last year. I thought that was fantastic. Yeah. So, um, and I know I loved going to the fair um, and just being able to talk face-to-face with the farmers and with the many people that are, are doing all sorts of innovative things. It was always a fun event. But obviously with COVID-19, um, that's not possible this year. So how is uh, Seward Co-op pivoting on this event? Well, we are going virtual. The CSA fair um, is going to begin Monday, uh, uh, April 20th. And uh, it will feature over 20 local farms, and those those folks will they will showcase their food. Um, so you have to follow Seward on social media to learn about each of the farms and their and what they're offering in terms of CSA shares. They're going to share videos. There's going to be question and answer sessions. So you you have to plug into that social media Seward um, on uh, on Facebook as well as on uh, Instagram and find out. What farmer you want to buy a share from this year? Right, and right now you can go on Seward Co-op, and there is a list of uh, twenty farms, and they're all you can you can click on each one of them. So, like uh, Ambassador Hill Farm and Orchard, that's run by the Women's Environmental Institute. Um, mm-hmm. We've had them on several times, so you can just click on that and see how much their shares cost, what they're offering. Um, another one is the Mung American Family a Farmers Group. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, there's there's lots yep. to choose from, and um, I love doing a CSA. I really do. Um, it, it's just it, it, it's kind of a surprise box every every week. You get different foods, and I've been hearing people who may have never ever thought about buying a CSA before mm-hmm. because of this moment being really interested yep. in it. Absolutely, and and if you are just thinking that CSAs like are about. Um, you know, fruits and vegetables or vegetables, because that's primarily my introduction to CSAs was vegetable box, boxes. And I got everything from cold Robbie to bok choy and broccoli and all kinds of things. But the CSAs have diversified so much uh, more. So what you're going to find, too, is that there's vegetable and fruit um, CSAs. 
but there's also meat CSAs, there's cheese CSAs, there's bread, there's mushrooms. People are including all kinds of things in their CSA boxes like eggs and flowers, honey, maple syrup. So the CSA boxes of 10 years ago, if you haven't done a CSA box in a little, in a little while, the CSA boxes of the early days are not today's CSA box. They are really fan. They have a lot of fantastic products. So, you know, you can get, can join two CSAs. You can get meats and you can get fruits and vegetables. And, you know, and that would be the way to support local, the local economy. And you still would probably need to go to a grocery store here and there. And, of course, we hope that you would visit Seward Co-op. Right, right. But it is, I mean, I still, it is, it is, um, I mean, the, the people will be buying these products instead of Seward Co-op. And yes, it's about our soil and it's about each other, but it's also, it's, it's about not having all economics be transactional, but also having economics be relational. Is that part of the spirit behind this? Yeah, I, I, <laughs> I believe so. But I think it's part of what we talked about earlier. It's also not from the idea that there's only a little bit of money. And that there's only so much, and so we won't get our share if you spend it someplace else. The idea is that there's plenty, and if we cooperate, there's so much more. So we're not building cooperation uh, with the idea that, you know, we have to kind of get in, you know, we have to get in line, and if we don't, you know, and if it's just about our store and we talk about someone else, then, you know, we won't get our share. We believe that just the opposite, that there's plenty to do. There's plenty of people looking for food. They're going to come to us, but we can help them come to some other places, too. So this is about sharing the commonwealth, building the commonwealth, which is the network of cooperation. So how many cooperators can we get together to build this network of cooperation that will become sustainable? So it can't just be one group cooperating. We have to cooperate with other people. I love that. I love that. And one of the things when we were talking before the show, I said something like, well, we are going to do this. We're going to do that. And, and, and you said back to me uh, yesterday, I was like, well, it's about I, not necessarily we. And it's an interesting, um, it's a really interesting dynamic. It's like, how do I, I as an individual, be part of a we? Yeah. And I think that that part of the we is important, like we together. And I'm not talking about I individual, individualistically or I in, you know, me, mine. I'm talking about I as in responsibility. You know, there is an I in responsibility. You are responsible. So what is your responsibility rather than what is everyone else's responsibility? There's a, there's, there's a lot. I mean, and I, I use social media like all the time. And I see a lot of, uh, I would say, finger pointing. Like, it's not my responsibility to make the world a better place. It's your responsibility. And if you don't make the world a better place the way that I think you should make the world a better place, then you're a bad person. <laughs> this, is not, <laughs> this is not a practical way to build the, common, the, the community that we're talking about that we want so desperately. We have to begin to take the responsibility for ourselves in the we and bring the best part of ourselves to community. 
Yes, yes. And and trust our feelings around that. And there's been um, a, a lot of really cool, beautiful stories. Uh, sewing masks. Uh, people, um, a Minneapolis tool Hello. library is really geared up. Uh, Woodchuck, it's a local company, and they have switched to making protective gear. And so there's a lot of examples out there of um, eyes really contributing to the commons. Um, and you were working on something with masks as well today, right? Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. I... Um you know, to make sure that our frontline workers, as we are finding out, you know, those people who um, are most exposed to the virus are, are those folks who are on the front lines of our service industry. So just out here making sure that the um, staff of Sewer Co-op, the employees of Sewer Co-op, particularly those that are on the front line in, um, in our grocery stores, have masks and I put out a call for masks um, a couple days ago got so many fantastic responses and today picked up um, 75 masks from uh, a local activist um, her daughter who's 19 years old I don't have a I don't never got her permission to talk about her online so I, I mean you know in the media so I'm not going to mention her name but if they hear it they know that I'm talking about them. Um, but her daughter was at home making masks. What a fantastic thing to do. And, I, and I'm not saying that, and, and I, I want to be clear that I paid for the masks. So the masks were paid for. And that is how we circulate wealth in our community. I got 10 cents. I'm going to buy some for you for 5 cents. Those masks didn't cost 10 cents, though. So don't go mm-hmm. looking for the 10 cent masks. <laughs> but, but that's my point is that I have a little bit of money. What can I do with the little bit that I have? How can I contribute? I, I don't, you know, I don't have a sewing machine. I don't sew. Folks are saying they need masks. How can I, how can I help as opposed to just criticize? I can criticize somebody about, well, why don't they have masks? And they should have masks. And <laughs> you all should make sure that they have masks. It's like, well, let me go over here and give these people some masks. So that's what my role was today. <clears throat> Just really trying to figure out how can I help and asking that question more often um, than not asking myself that question. Well, we're going to go into another break. Um, but, um, yeah, how do, how do we help in this time? How do we rise to the, the, the moment that we're living in in a joyful way? Because if we're stuck in fear, um, I, you know, we, and, and, and scarcity, we might just spin out of control. But if we can wake up to abundance and, you know, Make a better world. Uh, you're listening mm-hmm. to Food Freedom Radio on AM 950, the progressive voice of Minnesota. Welcome back to Food Freedom Radio, where we plant and nourish the seeds of change. And we're talking about what can we do in this moment of uh, major disruption. Um, joining us by phone is LaDonna Sanders-Redman. And, um, you know, one place that I have been drawing um, drawing hope is from a growing community awareness of basic cause and effect. Um, there's yeah. a lot of business communities that now know that we cannot operate as if there's 1.75 Earths. 
and our food system is deeply tied to this. And even people we may not see as natural allies um, are been working on these issues. There's great stuff going on, sustainablefoodlab.org. Uh, John Hopkins Institute, which has been taking a real leadership role on the COVID-19 thing globally, um, they're really working on a worldwide collaboration to really connect uh, what do we know about the food system and how does it impact COVID-19 and um, what about uh, food security of vulnerable populations, what about agriculture in the middle, um, supply chain vulnerabilities. There's so much going on right now with Smithfield being closed and um – um, but then how also can we rise up and have agroecological responses? So there are a lot of people doing the work or finding ways for there to do the work. And that's basically what you were saying last last segment, LaDonna. What mm-hmm. can I do in a joyful way? Not paralyzed yeah. by fear, but in a hopeful way. In a hopeful way. I mean, I think, uh, you know, one of the things that we didn't talk about that I do want to raise up is that, you know, we can also stand against xenophobia and racism and bigotry um, at this time. We can make sure that we understand that every human being, regardless of their race or their ethnicity and certainly their gender or, or class status, is worthy of respect and dignity. So, you know, really being careful not to marginalize people because of how they look based on this virus. Viruses have always been used to marginalize communities. They've even been experimented on in the name of solving a virus. I'm thinking of the Tuskegee um, experiment on African-American men and infecting them with syphilis and not even treatment just to see what happens. But when we look at the yellow fever and what was done to Chinese immigrants, um, and we, we look at really the founding of the United States where smallpox and measles and all other kinds of fevers and viruses decimated indigenous community. So we have a moment right now to understand that we have a responsibility to each other and it is up to us in the eye to make the next move that is sustainable. So I wanted to really call that out and call that into um, the conversation because there are people right now who are being harmed and spit on in some of these grocery stores. A friend of mine told me a horrible story about someone uh, suggesting that they should spit on them because they were a person of uh, Asian um, in an Asian body. So standing up and being an ally means being an ally to people and being an ally to the planet. So being an ally to people definitely means, you know, finding a farmer that you can support. And the CSA um, fair, virtual fair, is a fantastic way for you to look at farmers, see their farms, because they videotaped themselves and they posted these videos online. And they are talking about why they farm and they're talking about what they farm and what they believe. And so you can find someone to support that way as well. You can also um, figure out some of these other smaller things. If you know how to sew and you have a sewing machine, and I'm so I'm sure that folks by now, if you have a sewing machine and you know how to sew, you've kind of figured out maybe how to make masks and things like that. But what if you don't sew like me? I don't sew, but I do have some resources. So I decided to buy masks from community people. You can do that. You can buy some masks and give some masks and Dedicate yourself to being that help as opposed to being in fear 
which a friend of mine or a mentor of mine told me a long time ago, fear stands for focusing entirely against reality. Oh, I like that. Fear stands for <laughs> focusing entirely against reality. Um, boy, we only have three minutes, but I think I think I do want to you know, also connect this conversation to grief that people might be feeling. Oh. And both you and yeah. I have faced grief. So, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. wow. Yeah, how yeah, do we do that? Three minutes, huh? I know, I know. I, maybe it's maybe it's nothing we are able to do. But I, but I also think that, like you're saying earlier, is not leaving our grief in the closet, not not being uh, being open about our grief as well, which you've mm-hmm. been. Uh huh. Yeah, yeah. You got to grieve out loud. I mean, uh, the, the thing is, is what I found, of course, in in my own personal grief, is that you know there's some places where grief is not allowed. And part of, I believe, the fear that people have is a, is a grief response, the sadness, um, the hopelessness, the, the, uh, not a, the inability to find the light um, is that grief response. And, we have, and we, we have ways of metabolizing grief, and everyone is different. And so being able to grieve right now without judgment, I think, is really important. But to just know that sometimes... The, the tears are going to come, and they're not bad, and you don't have to shut them down. It's okay. But it's also okay to feel the joy. When the joy comes, it's okay to find joy. Um, it's okay to find the little things that make you laugh or the little things that make you smile, as well as, you know, of course, the health and well-being that we all are seeking for each other and everyone else, uh, which we definitely will find joy in, I believe, when um, this virus subsides. Boy, I, I really did appreciate uh, what you just said because it's all about being a human being, not a human dean, a, a doing, right? It's that's doing. one thing you the one right. thing you said Be. before. Mm-hmm. Yeah, be a human being, not a human doing. So now we can't do too much. We have to be something. So let's be useful, be helpful, be kind, be kind, and yeah. be respectful yeah. of each other. That that's really under, being deeply respectful and deeply respectful of ourselves, giving ourselves oh, space. Yes. Right. Mm-hmm. Honor. Yes. Giving ourselves that space, giving ourselves that love. Uh-huh. You know, sometimes we're the hardest on ourselves, you know, and this really probably isn't the time to just push through things. This is really a time to be with things and certainly be with family. Everybody is with their their Well, not everyone, but most folks that can be are with their family units and, and sending that love and kindness to people who don't have a home. Everybody can't stay in place. Some people don't even have a place. So just knowing that and and just really thinking for just a few seconds, you know, may those folks find some peace and may they find a home. May they find shelter. Uh, May they find well-being. And being the person who can deliver that in some small way to someone else that you might encounter in your journey. Well, LaDonna Sanders-Redmond, I really appreciated you to be on uh, Food Freedom Radio this week. I, I thank you so much for your time and your wisdom and sharing it um, with us. Um, it, again, it made me feel better. Uh, next week, we will be live. Um, we'll be, uh, we're going to be live on next Saturday. We're going to be talking about the Friends Plant Cell, which got canceled this year. Um, and so hundreds of thousands of plants need homes. And what's happening? Uh, we're also going to be talking with Green Gills about how we grow food in our yard and how do we find the hope and the resilient economy we all uh, not we all want i want to live in (laughs) so thank you so much Ladonna sanders redmond and thank you for listening to food freedom radio thank you for having me have an awesome week